0: Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 653. And I have the cadence of how I'm speaking really sticking out in my mind because Janet Garcia did a very good impersonation of me before we started recording. Uh, and we are joined, in fact, this week by Janet. And I'll get to the cast in a second. But before we move on, I do want to say if you are wondering, because obviously it's one of the biggest PS4 games left to come this year, uh, our Ghost of Tsushima review will go up later in July, on July 14th on IGN, and it's being done by mitchell saltzman mitchell is a fantastic writer a fantastic reviewer he really knows his stuff so super excited to have him doing that review and we'll definitely have him on the show to talk through his review thoughts once all of that goes up but basically uh, can't say anything until that review embargo comes up so look forward to that i uh, do also want to mention that if you're listening to this the week this goes up uh, Tom Marks' Marvel's Iron Man VR review will also be going live this week, so you can stay tuned for that because that game goes live on the PSN at the end of this week. And uh, just to quickly touch on last week's episode with Brian and Khalif. I did want to apologize. There was a Last of Us 2 spoiler that uh, slipped by. I didn't even realize it was said until after the fact, uh, and I am so incredibly sorry to anyone who was spoiled by that. That's obviously never our intention on the show. We always try to give a very clear spoiler warning warnings in advance and unfortunately that slipped through and i'm so sorry Uh, i hope you can continue to check in on the game and continue playing it because obviously we'll be talking about it uh in the future including on this episode but this episode's discussion will remain spoiler free uh with that all mostly out of the way i did want to jump into the show because i'm joined this week by janet hey what's up hello janet uh we're also joined by lucy o'brien good day how are you i'm doing pretty well lucy how are you i'm not bad Good. Uh, And we're also wonderfully joined this week by a very special guest. Steve Saylor has joined us for the week. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Very excited to have you on. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, now, Steve, um, obviously, uh, we here, of course, know your work, uh, and, uh, really love your stuff. And we're really excited to have you on the show for those who may be listening or watching who, uh, don't know your work. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a background on what you do in the industry and sort of, uh, p- perhaps maybe the viral video that recently went around <laughs> of you where people may have, uh, caught your name.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm Steve Saylor. I'm commonly known uh, as The Blind Gamer, and I'm an accessibility advocate and consultant. I've worked with uh, several studios, including Ubisoft, and most recently Naughty Dog, uh, as a consultant brought in for The Last of Us Part Two, which I'm certain we're gonna talk about a lot today. And I am also the media editor for caniplaythat.com, which is a site dedicated to reviewing uh, video games from an accessibility standpoint. Um, and yes, I guess also now I'm known as uh, uh, the guy that cried uh, over the accessibility settings for The Last of Us because uh, of that reaction video. So that's that's mainly that that's a thing that happened in the past two weeks that I've, it's still very surreal.
2: <laughs> I honestly, Steve, like I, you know, I loved that reaction because I have sort of been around the accessibility discussions for a while and, and have sort of kept track of of how accessibility has changed over the years. Um, and from, from, from what I can tell and from what I've been told, uh, The Last of Us Part Two is sort of leap years uh, ahead and, 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 and just sort of a, a remarkable jump for accessibility across all facets. And seeing the fight that has taken place to get to this point uh, I completely understand why it would have been incredibly emotional
1: yeah um it was something that we within the accessibility community have been working on for a long time um and I'm still relatively new within uh, within the industry but it's something that um a lot of studios have been trying to figure out and trying to work out and there's many different studios have tried many different things and some have succeeded and some have uh, have missed the mark a little bit but we always like to say that start somewhere and you can build up from there and with the last of us part 2 with its 60 plus accessibility options it essentially yeah as you said jump leap years beyond beyond uh what every <clears throat> what every game has done before and uh essentially we're going to be kind of looking back within this moment in, in gaming history as uh, accessibility before The Last of Us Part Two and accessibility after Last of Us Part Two because they really set a new standard that now all of studios are going to have to uh, try to keep up.
0: Yeah, it, it's really fascinating to see the conversation around those options and it, it does feel exactly like that. Uh, as you were saying, like we're going to look at this moment with this game and sort of be like that is a a measuring uh, post for us to look at future games especially as we get into a new generation um obviously like such a big spotlight is on the industry at large um as we go into a new generation so as we get to a new uh wave of games for them to be able to incorporate these things is really going to be important and uh really continue to matter uh based off what we see here i i, I did want to ask because obviously i want to talk about uh, your thoughts on the game at large and get into a little bit of all of our thoughts now that we've had a few weeks away uh from when we played the game and when the game launched um but in, in terms of that suite of accessibility features be- beyond the sort of number of options in there what in particular stood out to you as something that was really meaningful or impactful for the play experience
1: um there's a few sort of like specific options that i really enjoyed the most um the one that uh my reaction video essentially uh what i was looking at um when that happened uh there's when you turn on the game and you kind of go through a few sort of the uh, options at the beginning um you can come across basically a section where you have three different presets Um, There's one for uh, vision impairment. There's one for deaf and hard hearing and one for motor uh, accessibility. And essentially, if you turn on these presets, it turns on a list of so many different accessibility options uh, that will allow anyone within those spectrum of disability to be able to 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 play. And that in and of itself, it has never been seen before in games just because of there usually isn't a lot of accessibility options that would warrant that. But because there was so many, and they offered that as a, as a thing, it's like we get it. There's a lot here. Instead of you having to manually turn all these on, just turn this one setting on, and it'll turn on everything. And that got me really emotional seeing that uh, for the first time. And um, I, I when I saw it in that reaction video, essentially that like I cried for like a good solid ten minutes, just kind of seeing just that and hearing actually also the text to speech, which is in throughout the entire game. Every piece of text is readable via the text to speech, including, which was surprised me enough, was the the title card that comes up. It even reads that out as well, um, which was so cool. And it was hearing that list of options. Essentially, that's what kind of uh, got me really emotional. But when I finally jumped into the game and was able to play, the ones that really stood out that really helped me a lot uh, was high contrast mode, which essentially turns your character and any of your friends uh into a shade of blue it turns enemies into a shade of red and items you pick up as a shade of uh, yellow and the rest is everything is mainly grayscale and that helps being able to determine and be able to pick out enemies and items from kind of dark areas where it'd be really hard to be able to see at first glance and so and you can be able to turn that on and off using the touchpad uh very easily and also like i said the text of uh, speech but it, uh, it, incorporating with that was the audio cues. There are so many audio cues for every single button that's in the game, but also there's so much, there's so much subtlety to it that makes it even more immersive where, for example, if you're about to go up to a rope and you want to be able to climb it, um, you could just see it. You should be able to see it and be able to hit uh, X and it'll climb. But if you have audio cues turned on, there's an audio cue that let you know to push the X button, but then there's also a sound effect that uh, that precedes that and basically lets you like, it's a sound effect for a rope. So that way, you know, okay. if you cannot see the rope, there is something nearby that you can be able to climb and it'll be a rope. And it does that for basically anything you interact with, whether it's a, opening a drawer, opening a safe, getting on your horse. So cool to be able to just hear like a little horse whinny every time you, you get near your horse. And you can just like, you know, you can build like, you can just hop on. Uh, and there's, and for me personally, what really stood out was the ability to be able to use zoom um, using the touchpad. Essentially, all you have to do is you double tap, uh, double tap the touchpad and you can actually be able to zoom in depending on which sort of magnification you set out in the options. You can be able to zoom into the part of the screen and you can use your finger to scroll across the touchpad to be able to see where uh, things are. And it's helped many times where I'm like, OK, wait, is that an enemy or is that a tree? And I, all I have to do is double tap, zoom in. OK, that's a tree. I'm good. Double tap to zoom out and and I'm fine. And you can do that throughout the entire uh, game. The only control that it interferes with is being able to strum the guitar and pick the uh, do guitar picking. But um, you can use the X button to essentially to strum the guitar. So they've even thought of that. There's like layers upon layers upon layers of accessibility that just incorporate into everything. And it's. It was so cool just to be able to see and and uh, and like I said before, I, a full disclosure, I did work on the game. So even though I knew a little bit of the options, fe- seeing that in the final version of the game was just so amazing. And uh, and like I said, it just really takes a leap forward. I'm
2: I'm really curious. Oh wait, wait, wait. You, you go ahead, Jenna.
3: Oh, thanks. Uh, I actually have a question, like a follow-up on that. I know on this show, we've talked a lot about the touchpad and how it's sort of an underutilized thing and do we feel like we need it going forward? But of course, our bias, which is something that like, I know I have to consciously work against, is looking at those other perspectives. Maybe the touchpad isn't useful for me as a gamer, as a more able-bodied gamer, but maybe there's these other utilizations that I didn't even consider. So I'm curious, uh, Steve, do you feel like the touchpad opens up more... Opportunities for accessibility than a different modeled controller. Do you what other ways do you feel like it could be utilized for it in a way that maybe some of us might forget because we're not in that position.
1: Yeah, I I actually would uh, say like I was in the same camp. um I really didn't understand the kind of the potential the touchpad had. um Obviously, a few games tried it, and uh, essentially a lot of them just kind of used that as the glorified map button. And I totally mm-hmm. get it. At the time, it's like okay, it's not really. Needed, But then when I found out what Naughty Dog was doing with that touchpad, and then even seeing the conversations when uh, when the Dual Sense was being discussed, I'm like, just you wait, there's there's more here. And there's more potential here. There's so much versatility in that touchpad. Like I said, you can swipe left to be able to uh, turn high con- contrast mode on or off. Uh, you can use it to zoom, you can even uh, swipe up on, on the touchpad and it'll tell you whether your character is, uh, standing, crouched, swimming, prone, and it'll even give you a readout of how much health you have left. There's so much in there that can be used for accessibility purposes that doesn't even really, uh, take control over any other kind of, uh, options other than basically just pushing the button to be able to, uh, open up the crafting menu or anything like that. But even then, just it's, it's so subtle that it doesn't even interfere with, with with a lot of that at all, and I am really excited for the potential of that. And I really think that that's if if uh, Sony's first party, like PlayStation Studios, if they're able to take that and run with it for accessibility, I'm really excited to be able to see uh, what they can be able to do uh, with that, and um and just what like what other potential options could be made within that touchpad.
2: When you went in uh, to have those initial chats with Naughty Dog. How how were you approached uh and what did those initial chats look like?
1: Uh so at first it was I, I think actually Night Dog just likes to uh sort of uh poach uh from different sort of tech conferences um and gaming conferences because uh I've had a few of my friends who were consultants on it and had a very similar story where um there was a game uh game conference uh called Game Accessibility Conference, and they do it uh, usually around GDC. Uh, I was there uh, as a panelist for uh, basically a bunch of blind gamers. We were there to discuss what we would love to be able to see uh, in video games, and we had a room full of uh, developers who were really interested in accessibility. And uh, little did I know that there were some people from Naughty Dog, and they came up to me after the break, and they were like, we want to work with you. And I was like, yes, please. I would love that Um, because, of course, like it's when you say Naughty Dog, it's like, you know exactly what they're working on. So uh, that was that was kind of the initial conversation. Um, And without kind of going uh, into more specifics about what they kind of were discussing. But even going into it, I knew what like when I saw kind of what they what they had, I knew like already this was going to be a game changer. And they kind of were taking things that we had been discussing Within the accessibility community and discussing at conferences and other studios like we've been discussing all that for years and they seem to naughty dog had seemed to kind of take all of those into account uh the fact that they uh started development at the very beginning of the process uh for accessibility that's what we've been saying for years and and also as well that it was a studio-wide initiative in that it from neil Druckmann all the way down it was something that the entire studio was on board with in trying to be able to make uh these accessibility settings uh, work and work really well. And also they brought in consultants along the way to provide feedback on what they're working on, offer suggestions and options we would love to see. And they kept bringing uh, consultants back to kind of uh, give progress and figure things out. And then also having the uh, the capability that uh, um, you can like, they're tracking all that accessibility information as well in the final product so that they can be able to improve those accessibility settings uh like further on and build and this is something that w- with all those combined essentially kind of created this really amazing push internally that we like if we see other studios doing the same thing i would i'm i love to be able to get to the point where i'm going to be nitpicking what accessibility settings are in mm-hmm. games instead of saying why don't you just have some that kind of thing
2: one of the things that i've been told over and over again by accessibility consultants is that accessibility should be baked into your game from the very beginning because I feel that there was a trend for a while there where accessibility was like, oh no, we've got to like quickly throw something in there at the last minute and you, know, it, you could really tell. Whereas uh, if you bake it in from the very beginning, it's very organic and it's nowhere near as much of a lift as it is if you have it at the end. And again, these accessibility consultants I've been talking to have said, Hey, it's not actually that difficult to add these features, and it's not only beneficial from uh for people who have disabilities, it's also beneficial to everyone and if If you look at uh the last of Us part two's options, there are so many ways to play that game, and it makes it so much more enjoyable for that reason. I mean the difficulty the the fact that you can play with difficulty settings that aren't just like this is hard, this is very hard, this is beginners, uh you can mix and match. To, to your own play style is just incredible and benefits everyone. And I think that that's the one thing that I sort of heard over and over again about accessibility is that it's not just uh, for, for for people with disabilities, It's it's for everyone, and that's a really important thing to consider.
1: One hundred percent. Um, Microsoft even said it last year, obviously when they were promoting the adaptive controller, and they say this phrase commonly: uh, "When everybody plays, we all win." And even myself, I was like, I understood that, and and kind of was like, yes, one hundred percent. Like when when people with uh, with disabilities can be able to play games, then we're we're kindly felt like we're brought in to the same sort of fold as as our friends are. But in reality, like even seeing the reaction to a lot of the settings that have been coming out and uh, of this game. And seeing people who don't have a disability whatsoever and enjoying the settings that are there and just makes it that much more enjoyable and more comfortable to play, it really did hit me that it's like yes, no, like accessibility settings are for everyone, not just people with disabilities.
3: yeah, absolutely. I remember when I booted up the last of us, obviously, we all toy with some of the um options or at least see like what are my options. That's always one go to thing I have, and when I saw that they had large subtitles. I selected that so quickly. And I was actually playing like almost at point blank range to my computer because I was just at my desk, but I just like having large subtitles. Like I, you know, I'm a glasses wearer and it's, it's it's just difficult to read when everything's just so tiny and minuscule or if you're sitting really far back. Um, and Lucy, you know, to, to your point, I remember with the outer, I think worlds, it was where they kind of add that in after the fact, which is definitely better than nothing. But I, I think more and more, we hear gamers of all, all types, all backgrounds, kind of asking for these different types of options so that they can feel most comfortable and like they have an, an easy time playing. Because I think similar to when there's bugs, or performance issues, like these are all things that can impede our ability to experience the game. And I think that's always the goal is to kind of get over that stuff so that we can really enjoy what the game has to offer. And that goes for, um, you know, like I said, gamers of all different backgrounds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I was totally right there with you, Janet. Like, a, uh, you know, obviously wearing glasses very much needed for me to play uh, to a smaller extent. But yeah, I the, something as small as large font can be such a, a game changer for so many people that to then layer on, as you were saying, Steve, all of these options and all of these choices, it just lets more people play in a way that is more comfortable for them and more accessible for them, and that just makes the audience bigger and more voices get to talk about this game and enjoy this game and have fun with this game. And that's just a really exciting opportunity that I hope continues into next gen. Uh, before we jump a little bit more into last of us stuff, I did want to ask because you had brought it up. Um, is is your hope sort of that the dual sense can further these things as well because if it is truly as sensitive as they're saying and is able to simulate all these feelings and ideas and behaviors theoretically that should allow for people to interact with their games in a way they maybe wouldn't have been able to before
1: um i'm very kind of um hit and miss with the dual sense uh at the moment um gotcha mainly because Yes, I, I love the idea of sort of the haptic feedback because um it really does help for especially for those who uh, who are blind to be able to kind of understand kind of like what's going on in the game and it allows you a little bit more to be immersed into the world. Uh, I know that for for basically playing uh anything on the Switch, uh as surprisingly enough, anytime they have that sort of like very granular specific haptic feedback, it really does help and even in the Last of Us 2, they had that to a certain degree with uh with what the DualShock has uh, has had. Um, But there is some concerns that that for people with motor disabilities in regards to um, the i guess the resistance that you can have that you can possibly set on the triggers um and there's not really any as far as we know anything like a back button or a back pedal that uh say like the xbox elite controller can have or even with playstation's own 30 dollar <laughs> adapter which i love and use immensely yeah. i hate being able to push in that l3 r3 it is the worst <laughs> button i've ever seen and i just love being able to like just use the pedal for that so there's certain things that we're concerned about and and like uh go back to even to the resistance side of things because that like although that's cool and i i agree that that's a very immersive thing to be able to uh to to do within a game but for those who have uh trouble trying to be able to use a controller that sort of resistance can be very uh it can actually hurt people um with, who have either specific nerve damage or can't use uh, their fingers in in in, in uh like 100 percent capacity so I I hope that with these new options in the dual sense that we'll be able to, that developers will basically be like, okay, these are great, but we should have options to turn it off or at least a meter to kind of like give the, uh, the, the player a customization to like have a, a different sort of settings for each of those options.
0: Absolutely. That makes uh, total sense. And I I do hope we see that. I I do believe there was a story going around that Naughty Dog is looking to sort of share their accessibility uh, findings and their work in this game with other studios. And Essentially, I would hope at least the Sony first party family can kind of adapt uh, this into future games and really continue to build on this work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do want to jump into the game at large because as sort of has become customary on the show over the last few weeks, uh, basically anyone who appears on the show how did you like The Last of Us Part Two overall, Steve?
1: Oh, uh, so when I started playing it, I and, uh, loved spoiler it. Spoiler
0: free, just uh, oh, yes, 100%, yeah. So, yes, yeah. Uh,
1: when I started playing it, I loved it. And then about a little bit in, I hated it. And then about a little bit in, I loved it again. And a little bit in, I hated it again. And I was like, wait, why? Why are we doing this? Why, why? Uh, and then <laughs> by the end of it, I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, it's it's one of those games that like it takes you on a, a an emotional journey that I didn't expect to have uh and it's it does it kind of transforms storytelling in in a way that I hadn't seen before and I feel honestly kind of t- like proves how much video games is its own art form. And I know a lot of people compare it to movies or tv shows that we're getting nowadays but it really when when you kind of get the like the opportunity to be able to like really feel like you are the character themselves that and you're feeling the same emotions as they are that's something that you don't get when you're watching a a movie or a tv show because you like you have control over that like you have control over that character and to me that was uh, amazing to see and of course being able to play with accessibility and and finally be able to play a game on my couch, which I've never been able to do before uh, without having to sit uh, like a foot and a half for my TV, which basically kind of my, my setup. I even right now I have a 50 inch TV sitting in front of me. That's about a foot and a half, two feet away. And that's my computer monitor slash gaming TV. And that's how I'm able to see and play um, because everything else is you know, on the couch is really difficult, but being able to finally actually, play this in my living room it was really really amazing and I could actually focus in on the story and the gameplay um and I I was one that I I loved the first one I thought it was uh I thought it was great and it really kind of pushed storytelling in in a new in a new way but uh this one kind of takes that even further and yeah without obviously like I would love to get into spoilers (laughs) because there's so many things I would love to just discuss but I'm I I absolutely uh, think it is a it is a true masterpiece in all intents in of the word.
0: And uh, L- Lucy and Janet, I do want to ask because I know both of you, uh, Janet, you put together a sort of uh, a drunk spoiler cast uh, for yes. lack of a better term. Uh, and that Lucy was also part of. Uh, now, there were a few weeks out as well. How, how are you both feeling sitting with the game? Um, where are you sort of standing? Obviously, I know there's been a lot of capital d discourse about it but for, for your. oh we're not going to talk about the discourse we're not going to talk about the
2: discourse. no one will remember the discourse in 15 exactly. years hopefully yeah.
3: <laughs> and then people were like do you remember that that was wild yeah i <laughs> i love it still um i loved it while i was playing it um i loved it when it was over like i kind of i didn't really have uh any bit of a wavering there definitely were choices made right uh that like you know there are twists and and things that I people feel some type of way about as i'll say without getting into spoilers but for me maybe it's because i am have always been really into storytelling like i have i've talked about this before on the show i used to teach high school english i have a strong background in just enjoying narratives and like if you study english literature like you're used to dark twisted stuff and i'm like this is just fun to watch unravel so i didn't have any um hang-ups about whatever happened because i just liked watching it unfold um I, yeah, I thought narratively and mechanically, there were a lot of um, wonderful choices made. I think they really worked to have the mechanics play into what the the narrative shifts that did occur, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I have liked just talking to people about this game after the fact. Like, I know we're not going to get into spoilers on, on this episode, but it's such a fun game to talk about because it's so story driven. There's such so much drama whether you were for or against the drama, there's drama. Like, that's undeniable. And that's just fun to talk about. Even if you don't want to get, you know, there's ways to dig deep with this game and look at themes and symbols and and talk about unconventional narrative structure and storytelling and if it's effective or not. But even if you don't want to do all that, like, let's just talk about this and, like, which character did you like? And, you know, did, did you like Mel at all? How did you feel about so-and-so? Like, just having even those surface-level conversations are so thrilling and, Yeah, that's what I've really enjoyed about the game. And as more and more people and fans and other critics finish it, um, as much as sometimes those conversations maybe aren't pleasant in certain parts of the internet, I've just really enjoyed... Having people, and this is not an invite for everyone to DM me, but just having people DM or comment on (laughs) things that I've done, and just just bursting to talk about this game, like send writing paragraph long and really thoughtful stuff too, of like, oh my god, I'm so glad that you talked about such and such because I got to that part, and you know, I I think that's something so joyous, and like I said, there are really dark parts of this of the discourse, you know, there's there's different forms of bigotry coming out, there's different forms of just people not playing it and discounting it and leaks, and there's like a million things against having productive conversations on this game. But even through all of that, I see so much um just fun conversations happening and joy and intrigue. And that's that's what always makes me excited about covering games. Like that's the part that I love about being in this industry. And as much as there's a lot of noise trying to drown that out, um, I've just really enjoyed engaging with that after release.
2: Yeah, and I you know I'll I'll echo that uh insofar as this is a game that is Polarizing. And I think polarizing games are far more interesting than the ones that everyone really loves or everyone really hates. Uh, and it, it's polarizing in, in extreme ends as well. It's not sort of like a, you know, a comfortable seven polarizing. It's very much like one end and the other. Um I think one of the things that I love so much about The Last of Us Part Two is that uh we're so used to as gamers. Playing characters who are very likable, playing characters who are very—you uh, know—despite their flaws, you sort of love them nonetheless. And and I, I'm not saying that you don't love that the characters in The Last of Us Part Two, that you don't love Ellie, uh, but it it challenges you, and uh, it challenges your love, it challenges your uh, initial sort of perceptions of what this character is and 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 who she is and and and. In, in a way that sort of really swept the rug out from under my feet. Uh, like I, I've never experienced that before in a, in a, triple A AAA game. I, I felt that they, they sort of did it so well at the end of the last of us when you felt like Joel was maybe not who you thought he was. Uh, and they really sort of doubled down that on that here in presenting Ellie and others in, in, the, in really complex shades of gray. Uh, I'm sort of, Flipping around with metaphors here, no, but you, you know what I mean. Like it's it, it's very, it's very, it's a very human story, The Last of Us Part Two, in a way that sort of makes a lot of other games feel really cartoonish. And I understand that people are mad because it's not it's not necessarily easily palatable. uh But I think it's it's brave, and it it I haven't stopped thinking about it. I finished it a couple of weeks ago. I still haven't stopped thinking about it. And the fact that people are still talking about it uh, with such passion and fervor on either side, uh, I think is really indicative of a, of a job well done in terms of a story that's made a massive impact and a game that has played with, with oh, God, spoilers, uh, that has played around with, uh, you know, our perceptions in, yeah. in, in, in the way that it did. So I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an achievement.
0: Yeah, well well like you were saying most games are predicated on the idea of wish fulfillment and giving you this power fantasy and I don't think th- this story is a wish I would ever want to personally fulfill but uh it is one that I'm glad I experienced in this capacity and and was it was designed in a way to make you experience it like it is a uh I'm very curious to see how the Last of Us TV show does, uh, because I do think you can make a great TV show. But I do think there are specific things both about the first game and specifically this one as well that are tied, like you were saying, Steve, uh, to this medium like they are. It is very indicative of what games can do and not just what stories can do. Uh, And so I'm curious how that translation happens uh, into a different form. Um, I I, I did want to sort of touch on uh, the sales success of the game because I do think it's worth uh, us bringing up for sure because, uh, you know, this game went into its launch with so much controversy around it and um some very positive reviews including my own and some critical reviews and some very thoughtful reviews and obviously a lot of discussion going in and then it sold four million copies in its first weekend and was the uh fastest selling PS4 exclusive uh of the generation uh first party PS4 exclusive and it's sort of one of those things that I I when that happened I wasn't shocked but it was a, a good reminder of like stepping outside of the conversation around a game as big as this. Like this is something that touches beyond 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 us, beyond us having this no topic. let's not do that let's not do that <laughs>
3: you know what you guys knew what happened when you invited me here so <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: lucy you and i aren't allowed to do it uh janet steve feel free to do it as much as
1: all you right, can. All right. oh I, uh, I got my one in i'm, I'm I, happy I, I,
3: like, if you haven't lived until you've made that awful joke like it's yeah. just you have to yes. do it it's very true um but
0: did did that initial sales success given the discussion around the game into launch surprise any of you was that sort of what you would expect a big success for this game because of course the first one is such a massive hit
2: i mean yep. yeah i think uh, you know twitter in particular is a filthy dank hole um and and it's very easy to get caught up in uh in the in the drama of of Twitter, that you know the the the, the conversation of, of of Twitter and 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 Reddit as well. Uh, you know, people are very online, uh, but we sort of forget that there is a whole other contingent of people out there who uh, were completely oblivious to the leaks, who were complete uh, completely oblivious to the conversations uh, that sort of subsequently arose, and just wanted to play the sequel to one of the the greatest games of that particular generation, and 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 they're doing so and you know i i believe also in spite i'm seeing people enjoy it in spite of the leaks as well so there's it's very easy to get wrapped up in in this little kind of cosmos of (laughs) think uh but it's not necessarily indicative of 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 the wider uh sort of what's happening at large
3: yeah i think that's Um, totally spot on um I also I've said this before, like on other places on the Internet, but uh, I just I think it's awesome that a game like The Last of Us sells so well because it's a narrative game. It is very action. I'm not going to pretend like it's not an action adventure game because it totally is you're shooting guns. You're stabbing people. You're you're opening those drawers like I love I love opening a good drawer. But like it's it's so much its story and like the conversation around this game has been about the story I, I rarely hear people even talk about the gameplay um well I, you know I'm, I'm cool talking about that too it it was amazing gameplay as well but the story is really what is driving the conversation and i love that because for so long and even to this day like and maybe this is just more of an online thing but you know narrative games aren't nearly as popular as the other genres and some people are like oh what you know it's just a story like it's barely even a game like and i, I love that this kind of fuses those and it shows that you can have an amazing story even in an action game and i like i I really hope that this sort of pushes this shows that people like good stories and that it there is a market for excellent storytelling like i said it is very much still an action game but that's something that is just exciting to me but yeah it's not to echo lucy it's not surprising in the sense that the last of us was huge and this is the sequel to a huge deal um i think what would be more indicative of what the players at large think as if there is like a last of us 3 or a, another thing in this universe i think if that wouldn't sell as well that would more so tell me what players thought of this game but because the first one was so successful this one's obviously gonna sell just as well if not obviously way better because it's the follow up to something that people already love
1: yeah for me i i definitely wasn't uh hugely surprised by that um i did I was surprised at that number? The fact that it beat out—I uh, guess it was Spider Man—was the one previous record holder for that. Yeah. Um. So I, I had actually thought that it wasn't going to be able to compete with that because Spider Man is like is globally known and it's a lot more. Pardon the the term, but accessible for uh, for people who are just interested in video games, um, to be able to like, okay, yeah, I know who Spider Man is. I'd love to be able to try this game. Uh, I thought that was it was going to beat that, but having something that is a sequel to a game that you, yes, you could have played over the past seven years, but. It's something that is very deep within the PlayStation ecosystem and it's a beloved game. Um, I I am I'm not as hugely surprised at like as how many copies it sold in that first three days. And and I'm I'm willing to even say that there's a large chunk of it uh even from the accessibility side from disabled players. It n- nothing makes me so Humbled and honored and surprised even more when all all of when the reaction video uh, was happening, I was getting messages upon messages of people buying the game because of its accessibility. and Even some people buying PS4s so they can play this game because of how accessible this is like. That to me, like I, the fact that I sold a few PS4s out of that, I'm like, oh, man, like that. My I, I knew this was something. <laughs> I, you know, I wish I was about to call deal and be like, hey, uh, uh, But um, like just seeing and I, and I agree with you, Lucy. Like, I think seeing the, the the sort of negative aspect of Twitter when it first came out, like I, I saw my fair share of it uh, the past few weeks. And I was a bit wor- uh, worried at first because like it, it seemed that according to the sort of Twitter sphere, it seemed that everything was mixed. And, um, but when I saw essentially that, that news that it sold four million copies, so I was like, okay, there's a lot, there's a bigger majority that, um, that is out speaking the, the, the vocal minority. And, uh, I'm very happy to be able to see that, that, uh, that is now the fastest growing game. I would love to see like the final monthly numbers for June, um, just to see how much it grows.
2: Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and and I I also want to note because I can sort of I'm sort of envisioning the comments on this video. Um, I I also want to note that like you know, you're allowed to not like this game. you know, just because we love it, we're not telling you that you can't love it. Uh, I I think that one of the problems that we were seeing is that it wasn't it wasn't a sort of this is my reasoned criticism of this narrative structure or, you know, I didn't, this narrative wasn't for me. It was, it was, it was very vitriolic. It was very, it was, it was sort of hateful. A lot of like really nasty memes and stuff were going around Um, a lot of, uh, you know, horrible threats floating around the the creators, you know, there, there was a horrible, it's, it's, it's been nasty. And, it, and when you sort of see that, Nastiness, particularly uh sort of on a single platform like Twitter, it can feel quite over- overwhelming right and it can feel like that is the discourse around this game like the discourse is tainted like this game is tainted uh because the discourse has been so negative and 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 you know that's that's not to say that you that that there are people there out there who aren't enjoying it and who are disappointed and that's totally valid uh and i you know i'd love I'd love to hear some some reasoned criticism from from Players themselves, like I've definitely read uh, some great critiques, some great criticisms of this game um, from you know from writers. But I'd also love to hear some sort of reasoned uh, uh, criticism because yeah, I've got a lot of you know the old the old Twitter diarrhea, and I'd I'd love something a little bit more uh, rational.
0: Yeah, we um, I, I think we'll definitely be talking about our more spoiler focused thoughts on this game in the future. And if you have some thoughts on the game that you want to write in with, uh, you can write into beyond at IGN dot com with those. Uh, and as we put together a spoiler cast, it is coming. Schedules have just been crazy. I'm sorry. Uh, we will definitely incorporate some of those into that show. Uh, but to sort of transition from one uh, incredibly dark and harrowing tale to another dark and harrowing tale, I spoke to some of the team behind Bug Snacks uh, earlier this week about uh, really diving into that world and everything you can expect. And some things they just don't want to say just yet about the game. But uh, I spoke to Phil and Kevin from Young Horses about that game. So I'm going to toss to that interview and you can hear about Bug Snacks. I'm very thankful to be joined today by Phil and Kevin from Young Horses, the team behind the upcoming and delightfully strange and wonderful Bug Snacks, which you may have seen and may have been stuck in your head since the PS5 reveal event, <laughs> as it has been for me. Um, Phil, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Very excited to talk about this game with you both. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh so of course the the place I want to start there's uh so many things I do want to discuss about this game but I have to start of course with the the bit that has popped up uh in my household every 20 minutes for the last week and a <laughs> half honestly and that's the song. Um the, I I need to know the origins of the song, the the decision to write the song, how that how the music all came together. Just how how did this wonderful earworm of a tune sort of begin and how did it become what it was in the final trailer?
4: Sure. Uh so Octodad, uh, which is another game we released, also had a kind of theme song to it. Um, both the first one and Deadliest Catch had their own theme songs to them um, that we think kind of elevated the game, propelled it into like becoming more of a meme or more of something that like is. Uh, like dying to be shared with other people being just like, look at this weird thing and this catchy song. And so when we went to release our second game, or at least announce our second game, Next, uh, we figured something similar would make sense, and it felt weird. I think it would have felt weird if we hadn't had a theme song. <laughs> uh, given that we... Our games kind of give off a like Saturday morning cartoon vibe, I feel like. Uh, and so it just feels very in place. Uh, and so... Given the music that was written for the actual like in-game stuff um, by Seth Parker, our composer and sound designer, uh, the feel of that reminded us a lot of Carol, Carol Bonito, who is the band uh, that wrote and uh, performed "It's Bug Snacks," and uh, they have a song called "Picture This" that we thought like really fit how the game sounds and feels um and would be good to kind of base uh, a theme song off of and so i had actually emailed them accidentally through like a publishing company that like published some of their singles thinking that it would maybe their manager or <laughs> some like their someone that they worked with because i didn't you know we had never um directly licensed a song before from somebody that we didn't know uh the Octave song is actually written by ian mckinney who is just a friend of ours um, And so that was a little bit more simple. But eventually I got in contact with their management and with the band uh, and talked with them. And luckily they knew uh, what Octodad was. So we had like a good in there and didn't have to be like, we promise we're like real uh, game developers and like, this is a real thing. Um, And so we gave them a build of the game. Uh, We gave them a bunch of like concept materials, access to the script, basically everything we could. To kind of get across what the game was, uh, we had a couple of calls with them just to talk about like the thematic elements of the game, um, how to incorporate that into the song. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, they came back to us with the demo. And a couple of iterations later, they came back to us with the final tune. And it's
0: uh, it's such a. a, a earworm of a song and i, I love how it, it encapsulates that first trailer and i think it pairs so well with it what i, I love so much about the song is the the way it, it conveys sort of the bright cheerful really bubbly tone of the trailer but then we get to the end of that trailer and we have this darker moment uh with the rush toward the camera and with sort of this darker nighttime shot and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the tone of the overall game because that that little bit at the end really struck and uh has stayed with me since seeing it for the first time
5: Um. As far as the end, I don't uh entirely know what you're talking about, but the <laughs> I and the overall tone uh is very you know, it's gonna be cute uh and delightful, but also very mysterious. Mm-hmm. And I definitely see a lot of speculation online about what will be in the game and I'd hate to uh answer that question. <laughs> of course, fair enough. But but <laughs> but what you I, I suppose that what you've seen in the trailer is an indicator of what the game could be like.
4: Um, yeah, and it, I think like a good analog to cut in is that with Octodad, it was a pretty cute and fun and almost toy-like game on the surface, but there were some themes in it and some stuff in the story that was actually pretty sad. Um, true. Or pretty, or like deeper than than that surface level appearance, and I think you can expect a similar um, level of depth from Snacks.
5: I would say our our favorite thing to do is take an absurd premise very, very seriously <laughs>
0: <laughs> that uh that was definitely one of my favorite things about octodad, especially um playing it at the sort of beginning of the p s four generation. I would have friends come over and they'd see this wacky silly seeming game and then we'd get to some of the deeper stuff and they'd be like, Oh, that was not where I thought this would be going. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what Bugsnax can do there as well. <laughs> um, I, I guess on that note, what can you tell me sort of about the the impetus for the game based on what we do see in that trailer and sort of what players will actually be experiencing on a, you know, start to the story level.
5: So, yeah, it's about um, like, you're this journalist who has received an invitation from Elizabeth the character you see in the trailer uh she's told you like I've discovered these bug snacks come to this island and report on the story interview me we're going to show the world bug snacks but when you get there she's gone she's missing nobody knows where she is and so you're kind of on this quest to find her find out what happened to her but on the way you meet all of her friends the other people who are living on the island with her uh and they want bug snacks lots of them <laughs> <laughs> and so, in order to explore the island, in order to solve the mystery, you've got to catch a lot of bug snacks and feed a lot of bug snacks to people.
0: <laughs> I did want to talk sort of about the the inspirations for this game because it is, uh, at least from what we've seen, a, a, a unique mix of things. And I've definitely loved seeing some of the teams sort of share their inspirations um, from other games for Bug Snacks. I was curious, at least for the two of you, if you, can speak to your personal inspirations for this project and sort of the team at large.
5: Uh, yeah, um, so for me personally, I, I was very much influenced by uh, a lot of cartoons that I've seen. <laughs> um, Adventure Time was a big one. Uh, not a cartoon, but The Muppets for sure. Uh, and then in terms of video games, I had played a lot of Pikmin uh, leading up to Bugsnax. Uh Pokemon Snap was a big one. Um, what else? Viva Pinata. Um, I think we played Ape Escape for a little while. We did play Ape Escape. Um, then uh, I remember tweeting that Bioshock was in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Lost is a big influence. <laughs> yeah, I think
4: I sometimes only refer to it in like a joking way, but like we talked a lot about. Or at least referred to uh like Apocalypse Now and the di- Island of Dr. Moreau a lot. <laughs> like, semi-jokingly, um but
5: also not that jokingly. Well, they're they're fun to say because you know, even though they're outrageous. <laughs> even they're though like it a- is a, a delightfully themed game, like, you know, we can still be inspired by a lot of things that are pretty
0: nasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially when a a conceit, perhaps, of the game is eating these bug snacks uh, in this deserted island. Who knows where those things may end up? Um, I I was wondering what you could say as of right now on a gameplay level, sort of the the catching aspect, the collecting aspect of getting these bugs, these bug snacks for people. How how will that system work? Can you talk about it all yet? Or is that sort of uh, to be shown off later?
4: We can say that it's a first person game. Uh, first person adventure game and you use different contraptions and bait in order to capture bug snacks because at some point we'll have a gameplay trailer and stuff like that but um, it's a pretty narrative driven game and while you're going throughout the island and finding all of these uh, people who followed Lisbert to the island um, you're kind of finding out like what exactly they need and want uh, and what their problems are and trying to help solve them through Bugsnax.
0: Well, I'm very excited to hear more about that as we see more of the game. I do want to ask uh, sort of as we're wrapping up, of course, uh, this coming to PS5, can you talk at all about um, how it's taking advantage of the DualSense controller? Because that's something a lot of us haven't gotten our hands on yet, but it seems something that is pretty built around getting your hands on it and feeling the game more. Can you talk about how Bugsnax will take advantage of that a bit?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, So the haptic feedback of the DualSense controller has been Pretty interesting, actually, like, previously on pretty much any console that has, like, Vibration or Rumble or whatever, uh, it's, like, a nice feature and it sometimes can make things more immersive, but I haven't felt anything quite as, like, intricate and uh, sensitive as the dual senses Rumble or as the dual senses Haptic Feedback. Um, because in our game, being in first person, like, running on different terrain, jumping in and out of water, or uh running into bug snacks um you can feel the difference between running on grass versus running in water versus running on sand or snow um and things of that nature which it feels pretty cool or like if there's like there's weather in our game and if there's a thunderstorm and things of that nature you can feel kind of like where the sound is coming from through the vibration uh we're also taking advantage of the controller speaker. So, like when you capture a bug snack, each bug snack has its own unique cry, kind of like Pokemon do. Uh, and you can hear it through the speaker of the controller when you capture it. Um, we're even using the, the light on the controller uh, to display like how in danger uh, you are of a bug snack escaping from a trap, um, things like that. Uh, We're also using the uh, adaptive triggers. Uh, Different traps have different kind of functionalities, and some of those are best exhibited through uh, kind of like tension in those triggers or rumble in them and stuff like that um, to make you feel like you're really using them. Uh, So we're trying to kind of run the gamut and use everything possible, uh, which I think is has been like a nice opportunity because with Octoday we had Rumble, but it wasn't something that we like spent a ton of time focusing on. Um, So it's been nice this time around to, to be able to spend the time.
0: Now, if you're still watching, you may be wondering why all of a sudden we are all uh, wearing different clothes and the lighting may be slightly different. Uh, that is because due to unforeseen circumstances on my end, which I wish I had foreseen, uh, we had to cut part, the first half of the interview short. But thankfully, uh, Kevin and Phil were able to jump back on the line to continue talking bug snacks, which I greatly appreciate uh, both of you taking the time. So thank you.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. Um, so I thought you know now that a few days have passed, and I realized I had put you both on the the spot uh for the original interview, I thought I could ask if if any that you can say bug snack's puns uh, have come to mind that you really do love uh to kick things off for part two if there if there's any that you can say
5: yes I I, absolutely uh i I've been thinking deeply about this since last time because <laughs> I feel like i I just did such a bad job. So uh, it was like the the ideal bug snacks being fusions of bug and snack. Uh, yes. One of them is the Fryder. Here's French fry spider. Perfect. And I would also submit that the best ones also the food looks like the bug already, kind of. Oh, yeah. Um. So another really good one is the peel bug, which oh. is an orange and a pill bug. Wow. And so when it's rolled up, it looks exactly like an orange. <laughs>
0: Nature's just doing your job for you. That's pretty great. As it often does. Yeah. <laughs> uh
5: and the I had one more and that was the cockroach. Ooh, which is a taco cockroach.
0: That's really great. I I believe that that art's up. Uh I think I may have yeah. seen for the cockroach. Yeah, that is that is perfect. Uh I can't wait for I hope there's a uh bug snacks encyclopedia uh at some yeah. point around launch cuz I will mm-hmm. I will definitely be looking at that for sure. Um, I, I do want to jump back in though talking and what one of the things I wanted to ask about, because we had um Phil, you had started to sort of mention it uh at the end of the last time we spoke was um sort of the the narrative driven aspect of the game. And I was wondering what um, you know, obviously not wanting to spoil where the story goes or anything that you can't say right now, but sort of what the team wanted to explore with this story set up with this idea and this concept of coming to this Island and sort of experiencing the lives of all the people uh, there and what the team want to explore with that.
4: Sure. I, I can talk about it a little bit, but actually Kevin would probably be much better.
5: <laughs> I'm very I'm, interested what you say, Phil. <laughs>
4: Kevin, Cause Kevin's the writer <laughs> of the game um, main writer, but uh, I feel like, A lot of what we explore in the game thematically are themes of community uh, and how people go looking for solutions to their problems, sometimes in the wrong places, Uh, and how kind of realizing that or maybe not realizing uh, and falling into that uh, can affect uh, your life, Um, as well as um, themes of like environmental conservation and overconsumption in general, not even only relating to food, but all things.
0: Kevin, how did he do?
5: (laughs) That's beautiful, Phil. I have nothing to add.
0: (laughs) Awesome. I was a bit curious because we had sort of talked about um, the different environments and the weather in the game affecting things. Is it safe to say that the, the island will have somewhat different ecosystems and different bug snacks li- living in different areas? It'll sort of be a, like, multi-varietal island? Um, or is it something that's all cohesive and uh, very similar across the map? Like, how did the design of the island come about, basically?
5: Um, there's definitely a variety of, like, different biomes across the island, and, like, you know, the the different flavors and types of bug snacks kind of reflect the area they're living inside of. Um and so there's uh you can see a good number of them like in the trailer, yeah. like the sort of the snowy mountainous area, the sort of uh red rock canyony area, uh the forests, the beaches. Um, yeah, I
4: was I was just thinking about it and actually Snacktooth Island kind of reminds me of Neverland in like yeah. hook or something like mm. that. In the fact that like the seasons and um looks of the areas kind of blend from one to the other sort of drastically um but in like a fun a fun way
5: yeah i'd, I'd call it a uh an exaggerated shift between some pretty extreme biomes <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh well you know as a as an island i've never visited i'll, I'll take the game's word for how it uh behaves on an ecological <laughs> level um i i, I did want to ask though um one of i think the funnier parts of the trailer for me at least was sort of the uh the variety you see as bug snacks are consumed in the different um ways that shifts uh the bodies um in the in the trailer is that something that figuring out what do bugs bug snacks affect different specific body parts or is it dependent on what other bug snacks have been eaten is there sort of a like mix and match scenario I, I, I have a lot of questions about the physiology of eating bug snack, I guess.
5: <laughs> um, yeah, I guess without getting too deep into it, um like uh any given bug snack can affect any given region of the body. Uh and so you could become fully one kind if you wanted to. Mm. If you had eaten enough of it, say. Uh or you can mix and match all kinds of wacky parts, like uh but it is there there's not like a specific correlation between limb and bug snack, which is a nightmare on our artists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Accounting for making sure a bug snack can fit to every limb, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. That. Uh,
5: and that the bug snacks kind of fit with each other mostly. Oh, yeah.
4: And a lot um, of the characters have different like body shapes and sizes, so that also plays into <laughs> the variations in the transformations
0: oh wow yeah okay some
5: characters are very short and some are very tall and it has to work for all of them
0: and, and sort of on a more pulled out level i guess as just someone who's curious because i you know really really loved octodad and obviously this is uh the studio's been quiet for a bit of time was um has bug snacks been something that's been in the works for a long time did the studio explore some other ideas uh sort of like how did, when did bug snacks start to really originate and come into the form that we've seen it so far?
5: Yeah,
4: we've been working on it basically since we released Octa Dadliest Catch, which was in 2014, so past six years or so. Um, and we started off doing some kind of um, prototyping uh, that we tried to kind of follow the same formula in some ways as we used to happen upon Octodad as an idea. And that, like everybody on the team got to pitch like as many ideas internally to everyone else on the team uh, as they wanted, uh, kind of no matter what their job or role is uh, traditionally. And then we kind of all decided to like vote on those. And those are just like one page, like, oh, here's what I think it might look like or sound like or play like. And uh, maybe here's some like inspirational art or things I'm pulling from like a mood board sort of thing. And then, from there, went to doing like prototypes of the ones that everyone agreed were the most interesting, and then <laughs> took prototypes from like three of those ideas, played them, and then figured out uh which of these seems like the most promising, which which of these feels the most like a young horse's game, uh, and kind of like fits what we try to do and be uh and then even once we got to bug snacks as like the main thing. Uh, there was a lot more prototyping and figuring out, like, well, what is this game really? Uh, Because it's always been, like, you find these half-bug, half-snack creatures, and we've always had, like, the grumpest kind of Muppet people, Uh, but everything else surrounding it has kind of morphed and changed over the last six years um, quite a bit, uh, to where originally the game was basically three games' worth of Mechanics, (laughs) uh that were all vastly different from one another uh ranging from like animal crossing social sim to like cooking mama style bug preparation uh (laughs) which both of those things have been either completely (laughs) removed or changed like drastically since then um so just like giving an idea of i don't know how drastically a game can change from concept to completion uh yeah, it's it's been quite a process and and journey of just finding out what works, what and then also just like what is feasible with our team cuz we're only <laughs> 9 people uh yeah. and uh there's only so much you can do even with that much time.
0: Yeah, it's um th- that journey is so fascinating to me as someone who, you know, often uh, especially for our audience, we see the game when it's presented in a trailer or the first images, but uh you don't necessarily always get that context of the road leading up to those first reveals (laughs) and the eventual release. Right. Um, That's, that's pretty incredible to hear that um, some aspects of it have stayed sort of since the earlier iterations. And then some things have been so completely removed or (laughs) altered. Um, I I did want to ask and, uh, filler Kevin, I don't know who best would speak to this, but uh sort of on a design uh level, because we did talk about uh the bug snacks a bit, but the grumpuses, as you had been mentioning, um what was sort of a Muppet inspiration the the primary source of inspiration for them? How did how did the design of them come about? Because sort of instantly they felt unique but uh, familiar in like a comfortable way, as someone who's, you know, been a big fan of the Muppets and stuff like that in the past. Um
5: so like the grumpuses uh like i think what we knew about them conceptually at the start was that they were uh they were fuzzy they were trash can shaped and <laughs> like they could uh they had to have really big mouths so that they could eat very large objects <laughs> those i think were the main design constraints and then um when you factor in that uh any piece of them could change into anything they had to also be very modular like in their design um and that's uh a lot of the hard work was done by chris our art director um who went through countless pages of little (laughs) monster designs trying to get at what a grumpus looks like um and And i think yeah
4: sorry i feel like on top of that though like we both had to make i feel like this comes up a lot in our designs of things it's like okay they need to be extremely modular but also each of them have to be unique so that people can point out and say like that's my favorite grumpus or like (laughs) i identify with this person (laughs) well and so that's what we have like the the unique like items that maybe like clothing that they wear or
5: their color well and especially uh when you factor in that uh all of their body could be completely unrecognizable uh, <laughs> if you feed them enough that uh, each individual character needs to have a pretty different body shape and accessories so that you can tell, even if they are 100% pickles, that, <laughs> that that's the character you're looking at.
4: <laughs>
5: like their silhouette. Basically. Um, so I guess it was a, a pretty big design challenge for all of us to get at the way those creatures look.
0: Yeah, that that seems like... First of all, I love the description of just anything being 100% pickles. Uh, I think that's a great way to describe anything. Um, but yeah, the, the modularity and the sort of uh, amount of things you would need to account for, I could imagine would, you know, be a, a large part of this process on both a gameplay and also design level. Like I would imagine that both sides are really influencing each other in that sort of process. Um, yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> Uh, and so I, I guess to wrap up my one of my biggest curiosities is just especially you know sort of as a studio that has been working on this project for so long but uh, so much of the industry has changed in a lot of ways over this entire generation you know so much has happened was there anything while creating bug snacks that the team you know saw over these last few years that really stuck with the team as something that players seemed to be drawn to or something that you felt like uh, in the creation of it was um going along maybe with trends or going against trends was there was there anything that you've seen in this generation that really stuck (laughs) out and really maybe influenced the design that you can talk about i understand if there's you know stuff that maybe we can't say until we see the full game
5: um i know definitely john's talked about how like kind of horizon and breath of the wild coming out really uh hit us a lot like and that was mid development but it's still kind of like i don't know showed us a lot of cool ideas.
4: Yeah, that's John Murphy, right. another one of our designers. Yeah, those those influenced, I think, how the world functions to some degree. And like obviously we can't uh <laughs> as our team, we can't recreate that level of like <laughs> fidelity or interaction, but we've taken like small parts of it uh to kind of improve our own world that we're building.
5: Yeah, I I would say in terms of design approach, not necessarily um fidelity <laughs> <laughs> um also slime rancher yeah. was uh, oh. a game i kept an eye on to make sure that we weren't making it
4: <laughs> but, well and and i think like ooblets was something oh that also ooblets of, for sure field um, that we were like ooh, are, are we too close to this or not <laughs> just like uh yeah the the length of the development had us constantly worrying of like is there going to be something that comes out or is announced that is like exactly or like what we're doing or too close to bug snacks, um, and so far uh, I feel like maybe we're in the same like arena of like cute bright colorful games, but nothing has been exactly bug snacks yet. So I feel like we lucked out um, to some <laughs> degree. Uh, but I mean, it was also kind of like you're saying or we're asking is a com- uh, like a conscious choice and like monitoring of the vibes of the game's zeitgeist
0: of course yeah um and certainly at least from my side of things i haven't seen anything that's quite looked like or uh felt like what I think Bugsnax could be uh, when we get to play it later <laughs> this year. Uh, and I'm I'm very excited to talk to you both more as we learn more and actually uh, get hands-on time and, of course, see the game uh, later this year since it's launching uh, in the holiday 2020 uh, as of right now. Mm-hmm. But Phil and Kevin, thank you so much for joining me again uh, <laughs> to keep talking about Bugsnax. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about in the future, but I will throw... Back to the rest of our episode and people can get back to all the other playstation stuff that happened that week probably something i would hope uh but thank yeah. you both so much for joining me yeah.
5: thanks for having yeah. us
4: thanks for having us again
0: and we're back thank you jonathan as always for your enlightening questions that definitely don't annoy the people you speak with Uh, before we get sort of into the end of the show i do want to wrap up just very quickly and mention uh in a quick bit of real news crunch uh i do want to mention the free july playstation plus games for this month uh it's also the 10th anniversary of playstation plus i did not realize that until they mentioned that PlayStation Plus has been around for that long. Uh, I forget that it's been a part of our lives for so long. Uh, But in July, free games, they're including one free extra game uh, so it'll be Rise of the Tomb Raider, a fantastic Tomb Raider game. You should definitely check that out if you haven't, as well as NBA 2K20 and Erica, which is sort of a um, FMV uh, narrative game that you play with a companion app on your phone. Um, Please play Rise of the Tomb Raider. Even if you haven't played the like
2: the 2016 reboot, the sequel is so much better. It's so good. Play it if you haven't.
1: It's amazing. I agree with you on that.
0: Yeah, Rise is definitely my favorite of that trilogy, hands down, uh, and definitely worth the time if you haven't played it, uh, especially as you wait for the crazy rush of fall games coming out later this year. Uh, I did also briefly want to mention they announced today as we're recording that Dreams is getting PSVR support on July 22nd. Uh, That's been a long time coming. They announced it during their Dreams.com 20 uh, event where they debuted a bunch of new games that are inside of Dreams that the Dreams community is making. Uh, If you didn't catch any of that stuff, I'd definitely go check out Media Molecules' uh, Twitter account to go see a bunch of really fun trailers for some cool uh dreams community games that have been made and then also wanted to briefly mention since i'm a big fan of the game we'll definitely talk about in the weeks to come uh crash bandicoot 4 got into a weird kerfuffle over the weekend where people thought it was going to have microtransactions and dlc Uh, the devs since it's said that the game will not have any microtransactions, uh, this came about apparently because the uh, totally tubular cosmetic skins that are in the game uh, have to be redeemed separately. And even though they are free redemptions, that counts to the Microsoft Store, I think, as an in-app purchase. Uh, so that seems to be where that came from. Granted, Crash Team Racing eventually did get microtransactions where you could buy Wumpa coins for real life money. Maybe that happens at some point here, too, but it seems like uh, the focus on this download thing is not a gameplay specific uh, feature and was a, a bit of confusion there. Uh, as we sort of wrap up into the end of the show, though, I did want to read. We've been getting a lot of emails that unfortunately have been going unanswered on the show because we have had so much last of us to discuss uh, to the Beyond email account. You can write in with beyond at IGN.com uh with your thoughts and questions and we'll read them on the show the first one i did want to reference was one from nate who said i always hear jonathan joke about people sending in emails to a joke or something that sounds like he's goofing around out of curiosity does anyone actually send in those emails and could you read some for example in the last episode Khalif made a reference to the movie Tang and jonathan said to write into the show with fans favorite Tang movie references as a joke no one wrote in nate i'm sorry I didn't get a single Pootie Tang reference in the Beyond <laughs> inbox. And honestly, I'm very disappointed. And, not that I would know if they were references because I never saw the movie, but uh, not a single headline Pootie Tang
3: reference uh,
0: came into the inbox. So that's a shame. Uh, that's yeah. a
1: crying and shame.
3: And they should be the change that uh, he wants to see in the world. Exactly. Yeah, he talk, had
1: the so opportunity. Send yeah. it in.
0: Now the time. I mean, maybe th- that email did have a reference and I just didn't catch it. So I'll ask Brian when he's back on the show next week to tell me. Yeah, you have
3: me, no uh, authority here to to vet these.
0: Exactly. That. Actually, that's very true. Uh, one question I just want to bring up that I wanted all of us to talk about just as we've gotten more in uh, this week in the news has been rumors about the Xbox Series S or Lockhart, the cheaper version. Uh, Joshua wrote in. Uh, no, actually, it's Terrence's question. Sorry, I'm getting so many different questions in here. Uh we got actually a few questions, including from Joshua, about uh, having all three main consoles uh, in this generation. With the launch of the new consoles and limited finances, to spend 500 dollars on a hardware uh, choice is a lot. If you had asked me a month ago, I would have said, obviously, Xbox Series X, since it seems to be very gamer-focused with forward and backward compatibility, smart delivery, and Game Pass. Uh, but after Sony's first-party game showcase, I'm much more enticed to buy a PS5 at launch, simply because there's a growing list of exciting games. Uh, do you think Xbox is focused on pl- Play anywhere on anything might hurt their sales at launch and on the other side do you think playstation's lack of the forward compatibility options and the generations of backward compatibility that microsoft has will hurt current and future third-party launches on ps4 um so i I basically want to bring this up to say do you think we're, we're seeing really different approaches i think to how microsoft and sony are trying to get people to buy into next gen and microsoft really has this focus of however you buy in buy into our our you know, ecosystem, whereas PlayStation's like, we're starting a new generation, jump into the new gen if you want PS5 games. How do you all feel those different approaches now that we've gotten a bit more of them, uh, gotten a better sense of them? Are playing out, does Microsoft's uh, case entice you? How do you feel they're both playing? Steve, I'll throw it to you first.
1: Uh, I think it's basically two sort of different approaches uh, with just how um, both have been marketing um, each. And I think... Microsoft is is kind of uh, in a way they're trying to be uh, a bit more forward in. They want to be able to try to gain some ground that they that they had lost uh, in this current generation. And I, I think by I think actually they're kind of making some really uh, good decisions. And something that, as you said, as or as as the Terrence or Josh said, that they are forward thinking in the, in that regard uh, and for the gamers. So I I I'm kind of hit, hit or miss. And I think obviously there's with the pandemic, everything kind of changed and who knows what kind of marketing we would have, we would have had by now of both Xbox and uh PlayStation. But um, I'm, I'm curious as to see kind of how sort of PlayStation sort of uh takes each of those uh, features that uh, Microsoft has push, been pushing and ta- like, and kind of respond to that. Cause we haven't really seen that a little bit while, other than just the the big uh, PlayStation event they just had announced in the PS5. Um, so I think the, the thing that they sort of uh, kind of took into consideration, um, was announcing that second, um, hopefully cheaper, uh, console with it being the all digital edition, um, which is something that, that, uh, I'm interested in mainly because of course I can't, uh, five, $600 is a lot to spend on a console at the end of the year, especially buying two at the same time. Um, especially in Canada when it's like the, uh, where I live like the price is just a lot, a lot more than the States, but um i i personally am am seeing this also from an accessibility side as well microsoft has been really pushing a lot for accessibility and i think actually this kind of ties in even to sort of the overall marketing of it is that Microsoft was very uh, forward-facing with accessibility with the adaptive controller. Um, everybody plays, we all win. Phil Spencer has has mentioned many times of how important accessibility is within the studios. They even have an internal accessibility guidelines that is public that you can be able to see and look at, but it's uh, mandated uh, within each of the first-party studios. Uh, and so no, I am more confident in Xbox in their accessibility side where we haven't really seen – a lot of it from Sony side um, other than last of us. And, and I hope that that continues further and be able to show Sony. It's like, Hey, this is just as, as important. Um, and obviously we don't know what's been happening behind the scenes. So I'm just more interested in, okay. Like I want to, I want all the cards on the table. I want to see what each is going to have and what each is going to kind of counter with uh, in the features. And, and I, that's when I kind of will make that sort of final, purchasing decision, which is what I think a lot of uh, people uh, are probably going to wait as well. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm back and forth with it. I mean, I'm at some point, I'm gonna buy both. I love both. <laughs> I want to play both. But it's, it's just a determining on what will be my day one purchase is yeah. kind of where I'm trying to decide.
0: Yeah, and we are uh, it's a very interesting position to be so close to these console launches uh, and yet still so far out from knowing the full scope of what we're going to be getting and what we're buying into. Uh, of course, that's something we'll be tracking in the weeks and months to come on the show, uh, but unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people uh, find you when they're not just rewatching and watching this episode of Beyond or listening to it over and over again? <laughs> Uh, you
1: can find me uh, on Twitter at Steve Saylor um, or on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash snowball. Yes, I did get that URL. I signed Very in nice. 2005. Um, and you can also find a lot of my accessibility uh, work over at caniplaythat.com. Uh, I'm the mediator there and uh, we have a ton of stuff planned for uh, up and coming. So stay tuned to that
0: awesome uh and janet where can people find that uh wonderful fantastic conversation about the last of us part two that Oh yeah done?
3: it's on uh, youtube.com backslash game Onysis. that's game o-n-y-s-u-s it's also my handle across literally all social media platform
0: and lucy we could just find you here right
3: yeah i'm just
2: hanging around this is where i live <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally... turn the camera off and i just sit here until the next episode that seems
3: just about right just power down like a... yeah. Well, I like that you say that. What you don't really know, weird.
1: everyone, is that we're technically all in Lucy's house right now. It's just that it's, you know. <laughs>
0: just different corners. It's, it's really different. weird. <laughs> uh, especially for SF Apartments. But uh, anyway, right. you can also find Lucy on uh, Twitter, at Lucy O'Brien, and myself, at J.M. Dornbusch. Uh, thank you all for joining me for this episode, and thank you to Red, our producer, as well. I hope we didn't spoil anything for you uh, this go-around. Anyway, thank you to everyone who has watched or listened to this episode, uh, or to the show in general. We really appreciate it. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Beyond.
3: Beyond. Beyond.